chapter 1, verse 10. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go all the way to chapter 2, verse 14, I believe, is where we're going to stop. And we're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul. Um, we began this series last week as we're kind of, I hate to say this because you might take it the wrong way, as we're taking a break from Jesus, right? We began to introduce who Jesus really was, not not who culture tells Jesus or who culture tells us Jesus was. And we began to look at who Jesus really was. Now we're taking a look at this church that Paul's addressing that is kind of straying away from the true Jesus, from the true gospel as Judaizers have made their way in. They've wiggled their way in and they're manipulating people and they're leading people astray. And last week we began this by uh, really asking the question, have, have we changed? Because we ought to be changed by the gospel and the true gospel is changing. And we also kind of brought to light the false teachings that may be present. So let's go ahead. Uh, let's get right back to work. Starting in verse 10, it says this. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace... I just want to read that one more time, because what that's going to do for us is this is going to be Paul's way of, of reiterating something that the scriptures teach us, that God knows us before we're ever born, which would then again attack a very, very strong philosophy of today's world that it's just a fetus until they're a, a day old or so. This is just another time, and I'm not trying to get political, but I'm going to tell you that God's word reminds us over and over that he knows us while we're still in the womb. Therefore, he cherishes the life there. And we are all the result of that. So this is the Apostle Paul saying, I was called, I was, I was known before I was ever born. And he who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I, weigh in, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, or Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, who wrote the book of James. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ." They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up to, again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure that I am not running or had not run in vain, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, 
so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they, had saw that, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to be circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be the pillars perceived by perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James... He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That was a mouthful. (laughs) That was a lot. And here's what we're going to look at. I want us to look at the Apostle Paul in this text because what Paul's doing is he is writing to a church that he planted, defending himself because these Judaizers have kind of crept in and they've wiggled their way in and they're influencing these people, manipulating these people, leading these people astray by, by adding to the gospel. And what they're doing is they're questioning Paul's credibility And they're teaching this church of Galatia that Paul had planted that he's not truly credible to preach the gospel. If you had, you know, if you had only known the previous Paul, right? Have you ever been there where people held the old you against the new you to where it was almost like you had no credibility now and and who are you to preach at me? I knew who you were. I know what you've done. And, And I've been there. And Paul is defending himself, and he's also defending himself in the connection with the other apostles as far as his apostleship and his worthiness to preach the gospel. Because he, he shows us after years of time. See, it didn't just happen overnight. And Paul knew that this wouldn't happen overnight. That's why he spent three years alone before he even went to the Gentile, or before he even went to Jerusalem. Because he wanted to ensure what he was going to preach was going to be true. And then 14 years later is when he was able to, to really meet up with all of the, all of the leaders and the Christian elders. And that's where he was able to also rebuke Peter about hypocrisy. But we see in Paul that they're denying his credibility. They're holding the old Paul, who was the persecutor, they're holding that against him to where they won't accept him now as the preacher. And I know we've all probably been there or struggled with that because it's sometimes hard to convince people. But we'll get there here in a minute. But what I want to do, I want to really start in verse 10. Because in verse 10, you're going to read a question asked by Paul, which presents two impossibly compatible goals. They are impossibly compatible. And he asks this, do I seek the approval of man or of God? I want you to know that it is impossible to live your life pleasing man and at the same time pleasing God. It is impossible to live your life according to the ways of the world, pleasing man, pleasing yourself, pleasing the world, 
and then try to also please God. And let me just ask a question because I'm going to go ahead and, and admit my own struggle, my own flaws with this. Do I have any other people pleasers in the room? I mean, you want to just please everybody. You know, you will exhaust yourself to just keep the peace and, and you will do more than you are even possible capable of doing just to make everybody happy. And, and here's the other thing. Now, raise your hand. Uh, maybe you'll even stretch the truth a little bit to, to just make them happy and to tell them what they need to hear. I've been there. I've been guilty. And, and here's the thing. I realize now at 30, and I don't know if it's because my brain is starting to change. Maybe my brain is telling my body that things need to slow down because the body's starting to slow down slightly or, or maybe I need to slow down myself. But, but I've also realized that this care to please all the people anymore isn't as strong as it once was. I spent the first 30 years of my life going on 31 trying to please everybody. I mean, I wanted everybody pleased. And here's what I would do. I would exhaust myself mentally, emotionally, physically, so that everybody else was happy. But here's what I've realized. The longer I tried to please other people, the more unpleasant I was. Paul was not a people-pleasing preacher. He realized that there were going to be times that he was preaching to the people, and they were not going to like it. Because what was he holding? He was holding the truth. So... Here's what I want you to know. You cannot please the people and also please God all the time. And you're going to make it up. You're going to make a decision. You may not even vocalize or or share your decision, but based off how you live, you're going to see evidence whether you are living to please all the people around you and then neglecting the weight of your responsibilities that you have. Because I'll just be honest with you. I have spent numerous times taken more time than I should have to make phone calls or to even neglect time at home so that everybody else would be happy. Neglecting the weightier option to love my wife and to spend more time with my family. I, I, I mean, it's just, it's just who I am. I want everybody to be happy. I don't want anyone to be upset. I don't want anyone to be mad that I said no or that I wasn't capable of. And, and what happens is there's this, always there's this inner struggle within my own mind that I'm trying to grow out of to where I have to realize I'm not going to make all the people happy. So Paul was well aware that you could not please both man and people. This is why he says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So let me just talk about me for a second. Not about me, but my responsibility. You know, Jared knows I don't like to talk about me. Uh, just my responsibility here. Let me just tell you, I, and I hate to say, I'm not trying to say it in a bad way, but I do not preach for you. I don't preach for you. Uh, anyone that ever stands behind this pulpit or stands on this stage, we, we don't do anything necessarily for you all, for any of you all. Here's why I say that. I am called, as the Apostle Paul was called by the Lord, I preach for the Lord. I preach on behalf of the Lord. I do not preach on behalf of people because here's the thing. If I were to preach on behalf of the people, then I would just tell you all the time over and over, hey, just keep doing it. You know, good job. And you just cuss your wife out on the way to church. Good job, guys. You know, or, or you just you just lost your mind and, and lived in sin and were drunk all weekend. But good job, church. You know, just keep it. The reason is I don't preach for you. I preach to you and I shepherd you. But God has called me to preach for him and to preach his word and to preach his truth. And I am called to shepherd and to preach to people. So whether that's 100 people, that's 10 people, that's 200 people, it doesn't matter how many people I am always called to preach on behalf of one, the Lord. 
Therefore, this is why sometimes there's going to be sermons where you listen to, and I'm not trying to single you out by any means. I don't hate any of y'all. I don't have any hard feelings with anybody, but there's going to be sometimes where it feels like I'm literally just preaching at you, right? You ever been there? I sat through many of sermons where it felt like Michaela called the pastor, told him all that I struggled with and all that I was doing wrong at home. And, and it was like we're in a room of 950 other people, but it's just me and him. And he's just letting me have it for a good 40 minutes. And I just sit there and I think, man, I'm really bad. <laughs> you know, I am really jacked up. He'd spent an entire sermon on me. And there's going to be weeks where you leave here and you feel like I was preaching and I was preaching right at you, and you feel the conviction of the Word and the Spirit working on you. And it's not that I'm trying to point you out or make you feel bad about yourself. I don't hate you or have hard feelings. It's just I'm not here to preach for you. I'm not here to preach on your behalf. I'm here to share the Word of God with you and preach to you the truth. So there's going to be times where I preach something, and you're like, man, I, don't, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Because the reality is you have to confront it, and you have to, you have to live with it. And there's going to be times where the word of God's like that double-edged sword, man. It hurts going in. And then, and then while you're sitting here for this hour that we have together, it hurts. And then on the way home, you dwell on the sermon. You're like, man, that was, that was painful. But it's for your good. The apostle Paul didn't preach for the people. And, and here he's defending himself, not because he's wanting to please the people. But here's the thing. If you are a Christian, you are expected to live the same way. This isn't just for preachers. This is for all of you. This is for all of us. You are not called to live your life exhausting yourself, trying to please man and neglecting the weightier responsibilities of preaching the gospel or being the hands and feet of Christ. You are called to live according to his word and according to his way. And you have to grow into this spiritual mindset of, I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people, you know, post on Facebook or, or message on Instagram. I don't care because I'm not called by them. I might be hired by you all. I might be, you know, compensated by you all. But I have never been hired by. This is why if the time comes that the Lord tells me to shut up or go elsewhere or just to retire and hang it up because I'm washed uh, it's not anything that you and I will have to answer to. It's just what the Lord guides and directs. And one of the hardest things for me is to always focus on pleasing the Lord. Here's what we have to do. We must please the Lord in all we do. You must please the Lord in all we do. And here's, the, here's something I realized. The longer you live trying to please people, the more exhausted you will be. You will exhaust yourself. You will spend more money than you should have trying to please people, make everybody happy. You will spend more time doing what they want rather than what you need to do. And you will just be drained. So the longer you live to please people, the more exhausted you will be. The longer and more you live to please the Lord, the more empowered you will be. Because you will grow in this setting, you will grow in this relationship with the Lord and in this, and this submission to the Lord and this, and you'll grow in this life of just doing everything to please Him regardless of the circumstances. Paul would not have been, you can tell Paul is not a people pleasing Paul because he would have never approached Peter and addressed Peter in public because Paul would have wanted to keep the peace. 
you know, hey, it's just it's okay, just keep doing what you're doing. But Paul, not wanting to please the people, or not wanting to please people, addresses Peter. We're talking about the man Peter. We're talking about the one that Jesus said, upon you, Peter, this rock, I'm going to build my entire church. All of it's going to be built on you. Paul addresses him because even Peter was living in, in hypocrisy. Paul was willing to risk it all to address someone so that the proclamation of the truth would go forth and that people would not be led astray by the hypocrisy, by the false teaching, or by the, by the fake living of so-called Christians. So this is what you have to do in your, in your life. You have to, one, be ensured that you know the truth. You have to ensure that you are living the truth. And you have to be aware if someone around you proclaiming the truth is not living the truth, then you have to sometimes address it. You have to sometimes address it. Well, I don't like confrontation. Who here hates confrontation? (laughs) And you got in the wrong business. (laughs) Because we're supposed to, unfortunately, at times, confront those people that we know are living in hypocrisy, living in sin, and remind them of what they're doing. Here's the reason. Because if you were living alone on an island, living in hypocrisy, and there wasn't one person to follow you or to see you, I I don't know if it'd be really worth my time. I mean, it would, but you're not going to lead other people with you, even though I would want you to repent of that. But if you're living in life and have people in your phone book and people that follow you on the social media or the people that look up to you, there is a possibility that whenever you live false and you do not truly live for the Lord, you're going to lead other people astray. So we have to ensure that the truth of the gospel is being proclaimed. So Paul, not a people-pleasing Paul, preaches to the people. He defends himself because, like I said, these Judaizers have made their way in. They're questioning his own credibility, his own apostleship. So Paul wants to make things right. And he reminds them something I, I love to read. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, you see Paul, an apostle. Dash, not from men, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So we see immediately Paul identifies himself as called by, empowered by, and entrusted by the Lord, been made an apostle of the Lord. So this is why I hold it very, very high every time I get to preach the word is to ensure that I'm not adding to, taking away, or anything false. This is why everybody that preaches from this pulpit should do the same thing. This is why everybody leading a Sunday school class, a children's church class, or even a youth group's life group should consider everything the same way. Because you and I have been entrusted, we have been called to preach for the Lord to the people. We are to preach on His behalf. And we are to do everything we can to please Him. Because like I said, there are going to be things that I say that may not please you. They may step on your toes. They may be, it may seem like I'm directing everything towards you, but I'm not. But if I were to preach to please you, then I would upset and offend the Lord. And, and, and one thing I, I've learned to grow into is I'm going to ensure that I please the one that holds my eternal destination a lot more than I am that can post about me on Facebook. You know, because in heaven there is no Facebook. That's definitely from the pits of hell, right? Facebook, Instagram, that's all going right back, and we're going to lock that thing up, and that's going back forever. There's not going to be any of that in heaven. But I will tell you, there is going to be one that I stand before that could question me, why did you spend 12 years, 15 years, 35 years of your life neglecting the truth to please people? And I'm just telling you, I'm not going to 
answer to that. So then we see Paul defending himself. And then in verses 22 through 24, we see that I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So I I want us to just go there, and this is where I'm wanting us to end. For the next few minutes, Is I want to just cover this. Again, I'm going to read it. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And in verse 24, it says, they glorified God because of me. So last week, I ended the message with a question, have you changed? And maybe for some of you, that was hard to answer. Well, I don't, I don't really know, have I changed? You know, maybe some behaviors have changed a little bit. Maybe you spend your free time a little differently than you have, but have you truly changed? See, whenever we get into the next few chapters over the next few weeks, we're going to see that a true transformation, truly being born again, being made a new creation in Christ, isn't just a little behavioral modification. It is a true transformation of one's heart. And so, I mean, every bit of who you are is truly transformed by the power of the gospel. So if I asked you last week, have you changed? Have you been changed, and if you had a difficult time answering that or pinpointing, let's just take it a little step further. I'm going to ask you where the evidence is. Where is the evidence? If you call yourself a Christ follower, where is the evidence? If we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, where is the evidence? See, Paul was known according to his former life as the one that persecuted the church. If you remember the story of Paul, he, he's the one that ordered the stoning of Stephen. You know, Stephen. I, I, I don't know if he was, but I like to think of sweet Stephen. He was the one just tending to the war, widows and the orphans, and he was just doing the hands and feet work. He didn't have a huge platform. He didn't have a great following. He wasn't preaching to thousands of people. He was just doing the, the, the work, dirty work, you could call it. A, a lot of people may not want because it has, it draws no attention, but he's doing all this dirty work. And then he's stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus, and he preaches this marvelous sermon as he is awaiting the final stones that will kill him on the, you know, for the name of Christ. And if you read that story in Acts chapters 7, 8, and 9, you will see Stephen's called. Stephen is stoned. By the feet of Paul is where all of the the leaders lay their tunics. This is a representation of Paul, also known as Saul of Tarsus, was the one that ordered the stoning. And then Paul, he wasn't going to vac he wasn't going to Damascus on vacation. He wasn't going for a little R&R time. He was going to persecute the church even more and kill more Christians and break up more Christian families because of the name of Jesus. So it's on that road to Damascus that Jesus confronts Paul personally and he knocks him off his donkey or his camel, whatever translation you want to read, and he's blinded for three days. And you remember the story of Ananias coming to baptize him, and then Paul is empowered by the Spirit. Paul gains his sight back. And if you remember that story, Ananias argued with the Lord saying, no, you don't know this guy. This guy's a monster. He's been killing Christians. I don't want to go there. So the Lord directs him. He says, no, 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 you're going to go. 
and he is there and he is prepared. I've been working on him. So he gets there and he baptizes him. And then Paul gains his sight back. Paul is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul goes to preach the gospel. That same Paul went from persecutor to preacher. Persecutor, persecutor to preacher. I don't know what your transformation story looks like. I don't know how your testimony goes, but there must be evidence. And the reason there is evidence with Paul is because the people have been seeing, they have been hearing Paul preach. It's not just Paul going around telling people, hey, I'm changed now. You can trust me. Hey, I'm coming into your house, but you can trust me now. No, there is evidence in Paul's life that he has been radically transformed by the gospel message of Jesus. There is evidence This is why Paul is pleading with the people to find him preaching and speaking the truth because he knows what he has been through and he knows what the Lord has done in him and through him. And he's pleading with them, listen, I know that these people are saying this about me, but I am preaching to you the true gospel. So the question I want to pose today is this. Where is the evidence? Where is it? Because if you claim to be radically transformed, if you claim to be born again, there will be evidence to back that argument. So where is the evidence? You could see in Paul that he went from persecutor to preacher. You can see in the Apostle Paul that he had spent his entire life up to that point of conversion on that road to Damascus of knowing the law better than anyone else. He wanted to be the best in all that he did, which is why oftentimes people will say, well, if God radically transforms you, aren't your, isn't your personality a little different? I'm going to tell you no, because Michaela will tell you that just as I was as a sinner, I've always dreamed big. I've always dreamed bigger than I could actually do because I'm not capable of doing all that I dream. I've always dreamt about being the best at everything, right? And I always thought I would be the smartest guy, the best guy, the, just the best. And I realized I'm not going to be the best, but I've always dreamed big. Whenever it came to ministry, I always dreamed of taking the gospel to more than just our four walls here, but truly to the city of Potosi, truly to our area. I've always dreamed about many things, and my personality didn't change, but there's evidence because now I'm just going to, I'm just going to use myself as an example in a bad way, which I can use a lot more than in a good way. Um, If I claim to you to be a preacher now, you may say, yeah, he's okay. But if I said that 10 years ago, you would have laughed in my face. You would have laughed. If I claimed to be holy 10 years ago, you would have laughed in my face. So I am... 30 years old. Michaela and I will be married for for 10 years this year. Bless my soul, right? (laughs) Her soul, I mean. Um, But let me just tell you, I can't remember the amount of nights that Michaela had to drive home because I wasn't capable of doing it. And I'm not just talking about a few things. If I were to list all of the things that I had done, boy, y'all would be wanting somebody else up here. I have things that I'm even embarrassed to admit. And I'm not going to admit them right now. Y'all are waiting. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to get good. No, no, no. Yeah, this is on Facebook for sure. Send that straight to hell. The Facebook, the Instagram, I don't care what it is. But, But I want to be real with you and tell you that there have been things in my life that I'm even too embarrassed to 
to admit to. Because every time I think about where I've been, I'm embarrassed to think I was so pathetic of a human being. I'm so, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed and saddened and heartbroken at the same time to think someone like me could be someone so nasty, someone so broken, someone so pitiful. But then, but then I have something new to say today. I once was all that. I once was that. I once did that. I once lived like that. But I don't anymore. I've been radically transformed by the power of God's mercy and His grace and His message. So, so I'm not here to preach to you because I want you to accept me as a pastor or to, you know, allow me to stay another five years. I, I'm here to preach to you because God radically transformed my life and I can't help but to do anything else for the rest of it. So, so all those years that I wasted, all those years I lived in sin and lived as a pathetic human being, I have been saved, I have been transformed, I have been made new, and I will go for the rest of my life proclaiming the good news of the Lord because of that. And that's what Paul is doing. He is pleading with his people. He is telling them, you don't know where I've been and what I've gone through. So for me to preach the gospel of Jesus, it ought to be evidence in itself for you to hear me and to believe what I am saying. So let me ask you, where is your evidence? Where is your evidence? And here's where we have to go. If you were to look at your life, so if you were to look at your life right now, we were to lay it out on a platter, and you had zero minutes to justify anything, what would people think? You know, because we're pretty good at justifying things. You know, I do this because, you know, I, I struggle with that because, uh, I mean, if you were to put your entire life, the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you spend your money, the way you search the Internet, the way you think, if you were to put it all on a platter right now, that would be your evidence. That would be your evidence. That would be the way for all of us to see exactly how you live. That would be the way that you would be honest before the Lord and he would see exactly who you are. So I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I'm just trying to ask you, where is your evidence? I mean, if you were to lay it all out right now, if you were to lay out everything about you, every part of your being, the way that you function, the way that you live, would we say, man, they are changed. See, the people glorified God because of whom? Paul. And Paul's testimony. Paul's transformation. Paul's way of going from the persecutor to the preacher. And I'm not telling you that every single person is going to have the same story. Not every single person is going to end up behind a pulpit. But every single person that calls themselves a Christian should have the evidence of being made new. And if there is no evidence, then we have to go back to the moment of conversion. Because I want to end with this short story. And I know you believe that, right? Every preacher, they always tell short stories. And, but I was listening to the radio on my way home one afternoon or on my lunch break. I don't remember. And I was listening to a guy by the name of Greg Lowry. Lowry. Um, a mega church pastor, and you know, some may like him, some may not. And I'm not telling you you have to listen to him, but I, I did really appreciate something that he said because you never hear mega church preachers say this. He was talking about how when he was younger, he did some things with Billy Graham and other big names, things like Billy Graham. 
And he was talking about all these crusades he preached at and all of these marvelous times he had with thousands and thousands of people and stadiums filled with people. And he was talking about how heartbroken he was every time he would leave a big crusade. And they're like, well, how are you heartbroken? You're preaching to 30,000 people, 20,000 people. And he said, because the great majority of those people that professed Christ that night would never live it. All those people that came to the front, came to the altar, they fled to the altar. We led them through the sinner's prayer, right? You know, Father, just forgive me. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. All these people that fled, there would be no evidence to show the true conversion, the sincerity of their faith, because it was a false confession enticed by emotion in that particular moment. So in order to call ourselves Christians, we can't go back to a moment in time where I said this one prayer where I may have been emotionally enticed. We must look at the evidence of our everyday lives. So what I want you to do is just look at the evidence. And if there is no evidence, then I want to give you a beautiful opportunity right now to just call upon the name of the Lord and repent of your sin. Repent of it. And leave here for the rest of your life pleading with the Lord, serving the Lord, and ultimately living to please the Lord rather than yourself. Where is the evidence? And as Greg Laurie was telling that story about all of these thousands of people that would come forward to the altar and, and pray this prayer, or they would make this confession from their, from their row on the second deck, you know, I, I surrender my heart to Jesus tonight. He led broken after everyone because he knew the great majority of those people would never live it. So today I want to follow up the question from last week of have you changed to ask you, where is the evidence? Where is the evidence? Let's pray.